This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hi, I'm Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And I'm Sarah Hart Unger, a mother of three, practicing physician, writer, and course creator. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds, Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. In this episode, we're going to be talking about media in general, how we curate our media consumption, not just social media. I know we've talked about social media a lot, but all the other kinds of media out there, how we can make this a more intentional part of our lives. And I know this is something that Sarah has been very passionate about. So Sarah, maybe you could share with our listeners what your thinking is on this and why media curation is a good part of a a busy life. Yes, full disclosure, this episode is, is about my current obsession, not necessarily anyone else's, but I still think media and our use of time around media does impact us all on a daily basis. So I think it's worth spending some time diving into and thinking about. And by the way, I'm not talking about social media. We will talk about social media because social media is a form of media. So it's certainly included. And it is a form that for some people, it crowds out other things they want to do media wise or otherwise. 
But that is not, this is not a social media themed episode. I'm more talking about like, what do you watch? What do you read? What do you listen to? What do you choose to consume in your downtime? And is there a lot of intentionality there? Is it just whatever's in front of your face? Where is the time actually going? Are you getting the most enjoyment out of your media consumption as you can? And I don't remember where I first started thinking about this, but once I did, it just became something I'm very interested in to the point where I have started tracking my media. So you guys know I have a daily planner. I love having like a little page for every single day in my Hobonichi Cousin where I write down my schedule, kind of my tasks for the day, different metrics I want to hit, things like that. But one thing I I had a lot of space on that page and I'm like, you know, it would be fun. I'll just like see what podcasts I listen to and like what I read. And I realized like, oh, I want to track my media consumption and just kind of see what it is. And I was surprised by two things. One, how much we do listen to on autopilot. Like, you know, you just listen to whatever podcast comes up next, like you didn't actively choose it. So that was interesting. But also the sheer volume of media that I consume and I'm sure we all consume And I consider myself a pretty busy person. And yet sometimes like the list of like people talking at me, things I read, it was pretty sizable at the end of certain days with not a lot of awareness around that. So I think putting it onto paper has been super interesting for me. And so then I asked Laura, like you do all this time tracking, you know, where every single like half hour of your life goes back spanning years. Are you tracking your media in there or is this something you've ever thought about? So, I mean, the short answer is no, not so much. I mean, I do, if I'm watching TV, for instance, I tend to put what it is just because it's so rare that I do it. It's almost always a sports kind of thing. So it'd be like watch Eagles, watch 76ers. So that will be like TV slash 76ers, right? That's what I would put. So I would know what I was watching in that case. For reading, I usually just put read on my log. I don't put what it is, except if it's something that, like if I've just finished something big, right? Like when I finished Kristen, La- Kristen Lavren's daughter, that's, you know, I put like finish KL, you know, as an entry because that took many, many hours. It's like a 1500 page book. Um, or when I finished War and Peace, like finish WMP, yay. Because I felt that needed a little bit more acknowledgement than just read. I did track my books for a couple years. So I went through something of a reading renaissance in the year 2017 and 2018, where I decided to just check off a lot of books that had been on my book bucket list. So I wrote down what I was reading and have that list somewhere. And then I don't know, I I guess like by 2019, I kind of let it go and then learned I was pregnant with Henry and just kind of lost energy for a lot of things. So the book reading and tracking took a little bit of a, a nosedive at that point. But, you know, then by 2021, I was doing my reading projects again, where I read War and Peace over the course of the year and uh, 2022 Shakespeare, 2023 James Austin. So that I was tracking in the sense that I wanted to know what I had read for that. But yeah, I hadn't really thought about what media do I consume in an average day? I was thinking about this this morning as we were getting ready to record this. We had a little bit of time before we were recording. And I thought about, well, what was I sitting here reading for like 30 minutes in the morning? And it's various newsletters. It's newsletters and blogs. So I read like Matt Iglesias's Slow Boring newsletter most mornings. That's actually one I'd recommend to people. That's the title, by the way. She's not like knocking the newsletter. Yes, it's not slow and boring. It's <laughs> And he doesn't mean... It's tongue in cheek because slow boring does sound like 
whatever. But it's about things change like through the slow boring of hardwoods or something like that, right? It's making small progress into big problems. And it's about various public policy things. He's always a little contrarian, which is what I like. I don't know if our politics would be the same at all, but I was think it's interesting what he's saying. And so I'd throw that out there as a recommendation. I often read Emily Oster. You know, I obviously read your blog, Sarah. I read The Frugal Girl. I read a couple others. Uh, you know, we talked about Optimistic Musings. I read Grateful K. I read Lisa Yards. You know, all these regular bloggers that have become friends of the show over the years. So, yeah, I mean, I consume a lot too, I'm sure. I just, you know, have not really tracked it. So uh, maybe I will. Maybe you will. Oh, wow. wow. Maybe That's interesting. That I didn't get that as your first take when you responded to these notes, but I'm excited that maybe it's growing on you. I'm not advocating that everybody track every single piece of media that goes in every day, but I do think it could be one of those things like time tracking where you do it every once in a while to pay more attention. I admit that when I read blogs specifically, I just write on my little log. I make a W, meaning like websites. I don't know. I would do B, but I, B is already books. So, and then I just write like red Feedly <laughs> blogs because I use Feedly as my aggregator and just kind of read the ones that I subscribe to. All right, so we are going to talk about social media, even though I said this is not an episode about social media, because it is one very common, very ubiquitous form of media in this day and age. And Laura and I also have different takes and feelings about it. So I think it's like good to kind of share both of our experiences around this, because there is no one right answer regarding any of these forms of media, by the way. I just think it deserves some reflection for each of us. So I've shared my social media journey a bit before on this podcast, I think more on best laid plans, but I quit Facebook in 2016 when I sensed the level of general vitriol going up, but also because I found myself very addicted to reading like physician mommy group stuff. There's something about that particular form of like bulletin board style media that ropes me in and does not let me go. Like, you know, some people have issues with alcohol. Some people have issues with sugar. I know that is something I am like very bad with. And so I was like, I am better off without this temptation in my life and left Facebook. But then Instagram was just becoming popular. And by 2021, some of that very same energy was gripping me with Instagram. I get very compare I get, I don't know, I just, it awakens something very bad in me. And I also find it just like very hard to turn off the phone once I start. And so in 2021, I put an away message up on Instagram that was like, I think I'm leaving. I don't know. It's like my last post. I've never posted since then. You can look at it. <laughs> I don't go in there. And then it had the thing that was key for me because I knew that like, yes, some people might look me up on Instagram and I I didn't have a business at that point, but like I had a podcast and I wanted people to be able to find me. So I just put up all the links and then was like, goodbye. I'm not opening this ever again. And I really haven't. I will click on a link if someone sends me something and then that automatically opens it. But then I'm like so terrified of going back to the more addictive place that I just like I have no desire to and I just like close it immediately. So I really don't do any social media. And I do feel like I'm weird. Like I don't know that many people in the same boat who don't post it, but also like don't consume it. I never got into TikTok. I do love podcasts. I love blogs. I watch a little bit of YouTube for very specific niche stuff, but it never had that kind of pull on me. I think because videos like it's a little slower. I can't consume it at that like obscene pace or I don't want to. And um, that never was like a problem for me. So I do it every once in a while. But that's my social media story. And I can honestly say for me, and I'm not saying for you, for Laura, for any of you listening, that this is like your journey. But for me, that was 100% the right call. I am a happier human without it, period. 
I was going to say, social media has actually been like saving me the past few days. If it, if my voice sounds funny, this is our second episode that I'm recording from my bed. So I apologize for the sound quality here, but uh, I've been a bit debilitated with some back and leg pain. So recording this from up here. And when you are bed bound, it's hard to do much. And I don't actually have a TV in my room. So I've been doing a lot of social media consumption, but you know, it is what it is. I don't find Facebook all that appealing anymore. I don't know what it is, but Instagram's starting to have some of that same energy. I feel like I'm getting a lot more videos and ads of things I didn't ask for. I've tried to be better about curating it, like going to posts like on dollhouse furniture, which I like. I was like the mega family posts. There's some really funny ones like the Fit Dad CEO on Instagram. I if anyone wants to check him out, he's pretty funny. And Twitter, I just like hearing the variety of voices on different news topics. Because again, I follow people all over in everything. I, I don't know. I just kind of want to hear what people are saying, which we once have when listeners like, I can't believe you follow this person. I'm like, well, is it better to not know what they're saying? I don't think it's an endorsement <laughs> to see what they're doing. But you know, anyway, when I'm in my normal life, I do try to have other things that I do first. So it's not all my time. So partly some of that is about having total brainless books to read or look at pretty pictures. Like I like to check out coffee table books from the library so I can look at those. I like to do my puzzles. You know, I think I'm more of a moderator on it. Sarah is an abstainer. I'm a moderator. At this point, I don't feel like it's a problem in my life. Like if I'm not getting other things done because I'm on social media or not hanging out with my family or something because I'm on social media, then it would be time to examine it. But so far, it just sort of fits in the crevices of life as just, you know, something to pass the time and even the busy people sometimes need something to pass the time. So questions about media in general. Sarah, how do you keep track of things that you might want to read or listen to or watch in the future? Yeah, I love doing this. I feel like thinking about what I want to read and to some degree watch in advance ends up enhancing my experience of reading or watching said thing. Don't know if that would be true for everyone, but part of it is just that if you are curating your reading list and getting your stuff from sources that work for you, you're probably going to end up reading things that you end up really liking. And so I've always had a to-be-read list going that I would keep track of. This also helps because I get a lot of books from the library. And if you kind of have to play the library holds game of like how long things are going to take, you kind of need to think a little bit ahead. Obviously, you could also purchase books and get them very quickly or instantly if you go to an actual bookstore. But if you are using the library, thinking ahead is is helpful. And so this year, I'm doing it a little different where I'm I'm trying to like curate a list by season with like a little bit of a theme, a very loose theme, which like this season, I'm trying to read like other people's 2023 favorites. And then like, I think I'm going to do like backlist in the spring or whatever. We've had friend of the podcast and Bogle on before, I think a couple of times. I often use her reading list to get a lot of inspiration for mine. And then I just keep track of it either on like a piece of paper or on my blog. I actually haven't even made my 2024 books page. Maybe I will by the time this comes out, but I have it on a paper form for myself currently. And then for watching, I have gotten in the habit, and this is like part of my like seasonal planning, is I'll just Google like movies and shows coming out and see if there's anything that like looks really, really fun and exciting. Like I'm going to see Mean Girls this weekend. So I have been looking forward to that and I've gotten my kids to look forward to that. And just knowing that it's there has been just a little bit of fun and and anticipation never killed anyone, right? Like 
you get the anticipatory self, even with things like watching a movie, if you know about them in advance. So I've done a little just quick Google search, what's coming out soon, and tried to do that every couple months. Yeah, I don't have a good system for this. I do track, I have my Bach calendar, my Bach listening calendar, which we will talk about a little bit more in a later part of this episode. I have put down books in my planner that I know are coming out that I would like to read. But it's also just like when I, if I see something good, I'll like maybe get the free sample from Amazon on the Kindle and check it out and then often wind up buying it from there. But no, I don't have currently have a good TBR system going or anything like that. So different things. Again, maybe I need to start doing this, but something for the future. As an author, I think if you pre-order, like if you know you love an author and like, like let's say Laura's coming out with a new book and you're like, oh, I'm just going to pre-order that now, then you don't even have to remember it or keep track of it. But when it arrives, you'd be like, oh, I gave myself a present and now my TBR list <laughs> is like physically in front of me. So shout out to yes. like doing pre-orders to give yourself a little yep. surprise in the future. <laughs> past self, giving a little gift to future you. Exactly. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick ad break and then we'll be back with a little bit more on curating your media consumption, planning your media and things that can make it a more enjoyable part of your life. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Thrive Cosmetics. I am a speed demon when it comes to my makeup routine. I have approximately five minutes, or maybe three, between showering and starting my routine of getting the kids out the door for school. And so I'm always looking for products to keep things super streamlined and easy for my everyday look. Thrive Cosmetics for years has been part of that. I've discussed the Brilliant Eye Brightener before, which is a serious workhorse for making me look more awake. But lately, I'm also super into their Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. It's a tubing mascara that lengthens lashes and is super easy to remove as well, which is key because my makeup removal routine is just as streamlined. You can feel great about shopping at Thrive because for every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. So refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash best of. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E, M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash best of B-E-S-T-O-F for 10% off your first order. This podcast is brought to you by the new film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn and with an incredible ensemble cast that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, Whoopi Goldberg, Rose Byrne, Rain Wilson, and Vera Farmiga, along with newcomer William A. Fitzgerald. The film is an endearing and often funny story about Max, a divorced father and stand-up comedian living with his father and struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When forced to confront difficult decisions about the future, Max and Ezra embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Ezra is an endearing and often funny exploration of a family determined to find their way through life's complexities with humor, compassion, and heart. Deadline calls the film a touching testament to the power of love. IndieWire says it's funny and moving. And according to Next Best Picture, Ezra approaches autism with heart and authenticity. Only in theaters nationwide, May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit, 
and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. So, Sarah, what are we're we're, ta- we're back from our commercial break here, and we're talking about ways to get more out of your media consumption, all forms of media, how you can make it a more enjoyable part of your life. This is certainly something Sarah has been focusing a lot on this year. So, Sarah, what are ways that help you enjoy the media you are consuming more? So, as I already mentioned, the recording, so I won't go into that, but I think that does kind of somehow help deepen the experience of enjoying it, like knowing that I'm writing it down. Don't know why, but whatever works for me. But I will say also getting into a theme or series. So just like I picked for a certain part of the year reading backlist titles, I just think it's more fun and like gives it a little bit more dimension if there's like a little bit of a project aspect to it. I think the key is not being really rigid with this, like do it if it's fun. And then if something else comes up, that's like really fun to consume for media, then you can pivot. Finding other people who also like XYZ form of media is also a really fun way to enhance the experience. That's why I love book clubs. I'm in an in real life book club that I kind of started up. And then of course we have our Patreon book club where we read nonfiction titles three times a year. And honestly, anytime anybody's like, I think we should start a book club. I'm like, yes, because I like to read and I like talking about books. And yeah, it's the perfect uh, commingling of those two things. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, the Patreon one is the only book club I'm in currently. I'm open to the possibility of of being in one in person. I just haven't found the right right match yet. But I'm a big fan of having a project as well. And so this year, I'm doing a project where I'm listening to all the works of Bach. I know a couple other people are playing along. Either they were inspired to do this by hearing me mention it, or they were thinking of doing it too, and we touch base about it. But he has over 1,100 known works it works out to, you know, three or so per day. And I have been creating a calendar of what I'm going to listen to each day. And it's pulling not just from like do works one through three on the first day and four through six, because as we've, I think I've mentioned on here before, the first 200 are all cantatas, which are roughly 20 minute vocal pieces. And so I would be listening to nothing but cantatas for a long, long time. So I've been mixing it up doing BWV1, which is a cantata, plus starting with the organ music, which it starts at BWV525. So I do like on the first day, BWB1 and BWV525 and 526, for instance. And that way I could get about 30 to 40 minutes of listening every day and get a variety of box work instead of all of just one variety. And you created a calendar to support this, correct? Yeah. Yep. It's only actually done out through late February at this point, because I just keep trying to make sure that I'm doing it a sustainable way and figure out how much I can listen to each day. But so far, this has actually not been problematic. I'm thinking I could probably even up the number that I'm listening to each day just to give myself a little bit of a buffer for the future and for travel and things like that. But yeah, that helps me enjoy it more. Like as I know, I'm the completest aspect of this 
Because you learn things when you read or listen to all of somebody's stuff as opposed to just like a little bit of their stuff. And I'm not saying there's not a place for listening to the greatest hits of anyone. Like, I think that's a great way to be introduced to something. But if you are finding yourself into something, right, like you think that this person has a lot of talent or this composer was great or this author showed a lot of different things in the three books I've read, you could read everything and just set that as a goal and just make sure you give yourself enough time that you will be able to get through it without inspiring a lot of resistance. So for me, a year has been good for that, for the reading projects, because you tend not to have to do that much on any given day. But, you know, if, especially if it's somebody who hasn't written quite as much, maybe you say it's like a six-month project or a three-month project or something like that, like 90 days of this author and get through everything and see how their writing evolves, how they revisit themes. It just gives you more insight into them as an artist. And I think that's really cool. I almost feel like you should do like a diary of like what your listening experience is in January versus December, because I think it'll deepen like you're going to gain this like appreciation for nuances that you probably wouldn't notice having all this experience. And so that's going to be part of the fun is seeing how like you notice details that you might not have noticed in the beginning. I think it's super cool. I'm always interested at the beginning of every year, like what is Laura's media consumption project going to be? Because it has been that really for the last few years. And it's always interesting. And it's not always what I would expect. So I think it's cool. Yeah. And I'm already seeing some stuff like the, I mean, I'm definitely more familiar with the cantata as an art form now. (laughs) Having listened to, we were recording this on January 18. I've listened to 18 of them, as you can imagine. And uh, yeah, I now know how Bach handled a cantata in many ways. But you know, you also start to see how he borrowed from his own work extensively. There are a couple different, you know, things where I'd be listening to a cantata. I'm like, I know that. And it's because he'd later use that same theme in one of his, you know, masses or bigger works. And he was a working musician. He needed something to be performed. And so he would mine what he had already created if he thought it would work well in a future piece. And so that's that's been kind of fun to see as well. Love it. Well, I can't wait to hear the continued progress reports. All right. So here is a challenge that I'm currently facing that I don't have a great answer to. But a lot of times I love the idea of a family movie night and us all sitting down to enjoy media, enjoy TV or movie altogether. But my kids are six, almost 10 and almost 12. And the number of things that capture all of their fancy are quite limited we have had good success recently with Harry Potter, but then one of my kids recently was like, oh, I've seen it too many times. I don't want to keep watching these, et cetera. So, I mean, do you just give up? I remember Sarah from the Mom Hour talking about how like she held on to this idea of everybody watching the same thing for a really long time, and then she just moved on from it because it was just too hard and everybody wanted to do their own thing. But I guess, I don't know, thoughts on this? Or are there certain forms that really do lend themselves to multiple age groups and interests? I don't know. I mean, I'm not a big TV or movie person, so I'm probably not the right person to ask on this. I do know that we took all five kids to Disney on Ice, and so that was a live experience, but they all liked it. So I will throw that out as something that everyone can get into. And sometimes, yeah, things like the Harry Potter movies or even a, you know, a really good old Disney movie, sometimes at least three of the kids or you know four of the kids will like it too. But I will say that if you 
want to at least experience it with like one other family member or one or two other family members. Maybe all family members might be hard to pull off, but definitely different people have some matched interests and it can be good when they can consume something together. And so just rather than go for everyone, see if you can find like matched pairs. I know my husband does this. He will watch for movies that are coming out that he thinks some of the kids will like to see. And often Jasper and Sam would be into going to a action movie, sometimes Alex too, if it's appropriate. He'll watch for the animated movies and then take Henry and Alex and Ruth to those. And sometimes Jasper likes all movies, so he'll go to anything. But, uh, you know, then he's watching The Simpsons with Ruth and young Sheldon with Ruth. He's been watching Game of Thrones with the boys. I've decided just not to worry about that too much. My older boys are basically, you know, getting toward adulthood. I can just not ponder that one too much. Something they like to do together. And I will throw out there that video games are often these days a very good way to experience media in community with other people. And I'm maybe someone listening to this sounds like, well, that's ridiculous. Video games are like whatever. But it is how, and I see this through probably because I have so many boys that it often tends to be more of a boy group type thing, though I'm sure there are many groups of girls who also enjoy lots of different video game type things. But Sam will play various games with his friends. They'll call each other on the phone and then they'll all be logged on at the same time. So that's something, you know, you could do as family members as well. Like my husband and Sam and Alex will all play Fortnite together, right? The three of them will be on a team. And so they can play, you know, we actually wound up with two Xboxes now so that like multiple games can be going. So yeah, you know, or Halo or anything like that. Just look into something like that. Minecraft for younger kids, if you can get like all of your kids playing on Minecraft simultaneously. They can be in each other's worlds or various other Roblox games they might enjoy, you know, like Theme Park Tycoon or something that they can all try out each other's worlds. So being on the lookout for games that you don't absolutely hate and that multiple people can do together. Yeah, I like that. And I'm not judgy about games either, especially if you can get everybody in the family to participate. I mean, again, there's probably only a limited set of games, depending on your kids' ages, where that's going to be true. But there's definitely some out there. And you're right, Minecraft is definitely one of them, certain parts of Roblox, etc. So that's a good point. Well, because let's talk about that. I mean, you said a question here, how do you approach others' media choices that you might not align with? Like, you know, what if your kids or your husband or whatever has media that you really are not that into? I mean, what do you do with that? Yeah, we to in general, it's it's Unless I'm trying to curate a movie night type experience, there's a lot of to each their own in our household. And like my husband watches a lot of sports. Cameron enjoys watching a lot of sports with him. So again, traditional gender divide, but it is what it is. They really enjoy doing that together. And then sometimes Annabelle watches skincare videos on YouTube and then I can learn from her there. And I I will say like, I'm not too judgy unless I think it's something that's really bad for them. I am still not having my kids do social media themselves. I feel like I can see some of my own tendencies in some of my kids, and I don't need that to be an issue earlier than it needs to be. I think if it becomes a point where a child approaches me and is like, this is why I need certain access to certain social media, and this is how we're going to handle it, I'm open to conversations about it. But right now, that that actually has not been too much of a, an issue. So that is the one thing that we kind of like don't do as a family. 
I guess no one, no one in my family does social media. No one in your family's on social media. Yeah, I'm sure I that mean, will my change. husband doesn't doesn't use it all that much. I mean, he checks Facebook on occasion, but not that frequently. Jasper has like Instagram and Snapchat. I don't think he actually uses it all that much. It's more of a I think interaction with friends is often done group texting, which I've found can be more hazardous in some ways than social media, but needs to be just something you deal with as as a parent. I don't think Sam's been that interested in social media so far. Again, his interaction with friends is mostly through the group texting and through video games games. that they, they play together. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. I think it's fun. I have found some horrendous stuff coming out of Alex's iPad on occasion when he's like watching YouTube shorts. So I've had to police that at various points. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, that is an ongoing battle. We've just limited the time he can have it. And that seems to, and if it's affecting behavior, then it goes away. So that's generally been the judge there. You know, if kids are happy and have friends and are doing well in school and have some limits on it, like they can't have their devices overnight, then for our family, that's mostly worked okay. I maybe have to change that. I reserve my right to change that if if things go south quickly. But, uh, you know, so far that's been all right for me. So you wanted to talk a little bit about if people are trying to use their phones less because they feel that it is crowding out other media experiences. Well, first, how you might start noticing that and then what are some steps you can take? Yeah. Well, one thing I've heard people talk about and be very frustrated with themselves about is double devicing, which is when you're like trying to watch a movie or TV show, but then you also have your phone there and then you're actually paying attention neither and then you miss a key part of the thing and then you like you give up and then you're mad because you didn't really get the experience you wanted, but you did it to yourself. So I think it can be helpful to A, if phone use is something you're trying to cut down, be very, very specific and physical about how you're going to separate from said device, especially if it's not yet a habit. So, you know, the simplest stuff of like putting it in another room or plugging it in. I personally find an Apple Watch helps me do that much better because if someone does call, I don't have to race around looking for it. I can even answer it on my watch. So technology to solve technology's addiction to technology hmm, works for me. I don't know. And then the other thing is, I think it helped me at one point to just write a manifesto of like, how do I want to use this phone? Like, because obviously it has some awesome stuff in it. I like texting too. I like the convenience of using WhatsApp. I like ordering food on my phone. Like I do plenty of things on my phone, but then there were things I like didn't want to be doing with them. And like double devicing is an example of something I'm like, I never want to do that. Like if the movie is that bad that I need to scroll my phone, that's fine. But I can just not watch the movie and like do something else. Like I hate the idea of doing that. And then there were some other behaviors that I didn't want to do, like different forms of social media, like we talked about. And I wrote it down and I thought about it and I looked at it and I had to pay a lot of attention to it. But I guess I think obviously manifestos don't work for everyone. Otherwise, we'd all get be doing everything we want to do all of the time. And that's not true for anyone, including me. But just cultivating that awareness of what you are looking for out of that relationship, I think, can be a helpful practice. Yeah, I think that, you know, I have a rule of effortful before effortless. And if you're just pulling out the phone out of sort of mindless habit and then doing that in lieu of other things that you would prefer to do more, just challenge yourself to do those things you'd prefer to do more first. And then you can scroll around on your phone all you want afterwards. So if you're trying to listen to great music, you know, just pull that up on your phone first and start listening to it and then, you know, go scroll around. Or if you are 
you know, trying to read a book, go to the Kindle app on your phone first and, and read for three minutes. And then you can go scroll around or, you know, do something off your phone, you go do a puzzle for a couple minutes. But yeah, I find it's hard because I, I do get my texts on my phone. And that is what I'm doing. I often notice I haven't even gone to email or web or whatever else. I'm just texting with various people <laughs> while I'm doing something else. So it's hard to know what that is because that's, I mean, it's relationship stuff. I'm just apparently attempting to maintain multiple relationships simultaneously in various text threads. So let's, for any new listeners, we always end our episodes with a love of the week. I mean, we'll do a question too. But since we are kind of talking about media, we thought we'd share some of our favorite media that we've been consuming lately, kind of in lieu of our love of the week. So Sarah, let's uh, start with your favorite books you've been reading lately. I was going to say, I don't have anything in my social media category. I'm so sorry, but it's Elle Vanderkam, obviously. That's the best account to yes, follow. Elle That's Vanderkam. the only one you need to follow. I'm just <laughs> exactly. kidding. Only I mean, me. It probably is awesome. I don't actually know. Laura has to actually text me stuff if I, if I need to know about them. I will, okay, t- I will so- screenshot stuff and text her things from <laughs> exactly. social media. You got to see this, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. Keep texting me. That's always appreciated. My recent book that I loved was The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride. And it took me a little minute to get into it. His writing style is different, but it's also delightful. Like he has these long, long sentences, but they're so colorful and the characters are so good. And this one happened to be set in Pennsylvania and featured a Jewish community that was like commingling with the black community. And it was awesome. Like the characters were, they truly came alive and I will read everything. Maybe that'll be a reading project I do because I guess that's my second book I've read by him and they've both been excellent. So that was a recent media win. So I recently reread Dave Barry's Best State Ever, which is about Florida, about Sarah's neck of the woods. So she's reading about Philadelphia, and I am reading about Florida. And if people have not read Dave Barry, he's a humor writer. He wrote for the Miami Herald for many years, did a syndicated column that went ran in a lot of different newspapers around the United States. And he's funny. And this is a book about Florida and the various humorous aspects of Florida. I know many people have joked about the crime headlines that are like Florida man does. And there's always something weird, right? Like it's never just, you know, stealing a car. It's like stole a car with an alligator in it or something like that. You know, it just makes a, a little Florida angle that gets in all the national media. And so that's what this book is about. And I enjoyed rereading it. It's just funny. Sometimes you really need that. Sarah, what have you been listening to lately that you're enjoying? I have been listening to an artist called Mitski, in part because I think she's great, and in part because we're going to a concert of hers. By the time this airs, we will have already gone. I hope it was amazing. But we haven't gone to many concerts as of late. I don't think we went to any last year, but I saw these tickets pop up, and I actually bought them before the. I had to go StubHub, so I was happy because they sold out pretty quick. And I also feel like I'm going to be the oldest one there because I did notice I had a couple of patients tell me they like Mitski. And then my daughter's like, oh, this friend at school likes her. And I'm like, oh, my God, is it going to be me and like a bunch of like 13 year olds? But I don't know. The All Songs Considered crew really likes her, too. So there'll probably be at least one other person of voting drinking age. there. (laughs) Plus, my husband's going with me. So I can't wait. Well, if nothing else, to drive all the 13-year-olds. I'm not sure everyone would just drop their 13-year-olds off at a concert for the night. So they're going to need a chaperone. So it'll be at least you and the chaperones, right? (laughs) True. Well, I'm excited. So that's what I've been listening to. Yeah, no, that sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. 
Obviously, I've, I've been just listening to a lot of Bach, but if people want to check out one of the early cantatas from what I've already listened to, I can recommend the Ascension Oratoria, which is BWV 11. All right. It has some pretty cool chorales in it and uh, enjoyed listening to that. Movies. Sarah, what are you it. recommending? Okay. Sounds good. I don't have a recommendation in movies yet. I'm just excited to go to Mean Girls. And then, oh, I think this comes out later in the year, but also on my to be watched with kids that my kids are all excited about is there's a sequel to Inside Out coming out, which is a Disney Pixar. And I love the first one. Like I like genuinely love it. Like not just as a parent watching with her kids, but like it's awesome. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. Well, I'm not much of a movie person. I can't say I have gone to much recently or planned to, but uh, I did go to the Taylor Swift concert movie with Jasper and a friend of his. And, you know, it was fun. I had seen the concert in May and it was pretty much the same thing, but I enjoy her music and I thought it was a well-staged show. So it was cool to get to see it a second time for a much cheaper price. <laughs> and, and given Love that it. you're watching a lot on the uh, big screen at the concert too, I was, you can see her in person, but you see the, a lot of it's put up on the screen as well. It wasn't that different an experience of what you were watching with the movie versus that. Although obviously the live event is wonderful in its own way. And I'm happy we went. But yeah, I'm not a movie person. So it's really good. My husband is. And this was actually a point of contention, maybe early in our relationship that I wasn't that much into going to movies. In fact, the only like sort of true movie he and I have seen in a movie theater together, this could be like a Laura Vanderkam trivia question, if anyone wants to hear it, is Talladega Nights. <laughs> That's the only one That's a good movie. we've seen together <laughs> in a theater. But now my kids Not love bad. to go with him and he loves to go. So, the, yeah, they go together. So there you go. All right. So we're moving to our questions section. This is from uh, somebody who has a question about sort of planning and kids. So she has a fifth grader that will be a rising sixth grader soon. And she wants to know, how can I help him organize his assignments? I've been talking to friends that have high schoolers and college age kids that still struggle with their schoolwork. The stakes for them are obviously so much higher. So she wants to know what she can do to help her child build good habits now. So Sarah, what would you suggest? There's no one size fits all. But like one thing to think about, depending on the kid's personality, is making something very visible and very physical. So I do think sometimes like something like a whiteboard can be helpful for a kid that has multiple activities, multiple classes, different due dates and things. And at least one of my kids, actually, she uses a planner now, but we've done the whiteboard approach in the past to kind of help demonstrate like, okay, if you have like dance that goes late this night and you have soccer that goes late this night, like what's the only night you have to get things done and actually seeing it in some kind of a form. And a whiteboard is nice because you don't have to be precious about it. You can erase stuff. You can, you know, start the week all over again, whatever. But it just makes things physical. I think that is one tool to potentially play with. That said, kids' preferences are going to vary. And keep in mind, a lot of the tools to manage this stuff are going to be digital now. I mean, it's going to be Google Classroom, but you still have to help them cultivate the habit of looking ahead at Google Classroom and seeing what's due and make sure you've checked everything off at the end of the day, etc. I also just have to say, paying attention to what the screen distractions are during work time is going to be important because nothing makes homework impossible like trying to do TikTok at the same time. <laughs> it tends not to go that well. Each takes quite as long. You're doing bad TikToks and you are not getting your homework done. Yeah, I think this totally depends on the kid. Like you need to, you need to tread carefully here. And obviously, you know your child best. I know I could 
tell you, I would totally have rebelled if my parents made me write my assignments on a whiteboard. I'd be like, it's not your business. Like, I'll deal with it, not you. So I think you need to know if your kid is going to do that before you suggest anything along those lines. And I would also caution you, like, I don't know what your district or the school that you are sending your child to where the split is. A lot of places, K through five is elementary school, six through eight or six through nine is, is junior high, middle school. It may be entirely different for him next year versus this year. He may be moving, in fact, from one class this year to multiple teachers next year. And if that's the case, I'm not sure that what you do now is going to have that much to do with what he does in sixth grade. You might need to just think of like sixth grade is the experimental year where we figure out what it looks like when you have assignments from multiple teachers and how we juggle them. But if the kid asks for suggestions or you want to just like helpfully bring up how you track multiple things, right? So it's not that you're telling your kid what to do. But you could say, oh, yeah, this I remember sixth grade. Yeah, you get a lot of assignments from different places, right? You know, it's so hard for me to manage multiple assignments. Like, I'm working on projects with three different teams right now. And so what I have to do is I have to, like, keep track of them somewhere written so I know when all the due dates are. Yeah. You know, if you ever want a notebook or anything for that, just let me know. I've got it for you. That sort of thing. I think, and if you drop the ball on something, like, oh my goodness, do you know what happened to me last night? I thought I was going to be able to get to this work on Thursday. And then do you remember we had all that issue with the plumbing and I was dealing with the plumber and you know all this and I couldn't do it Thursday and we had to push this thing forward and it was a little embarrassing for me at work. Kids love that kind of stuff. Like when you screwed up, oh my goodness, like that's actually a bigger teacher than anything else. So I would suggest maybe framing it as much impossible in terms of what you are learning as a fellow student of figuring out your time. And then just be patient because I think a lot of kids go through a time when the work gets tougher and they have to decide that they want to do a good job. And if you have a kid who generally does, that's great. If you're not sure, I would just caution you to be be patient and not be yelling and hardline and all about that because you don't want it to be that doing well in school is a mommy thing. You want it to be that they want to do it. And as much as possible, if you can be patient and just encourage it when things go right and help the child explore feelings if they're upset that they got to see on something, like that's going to be more helpful long-term than anything else. Because your sixth grade work does not matter in the long-term things. It's how you build the habits and the motivation. That's what matters. And then the line of habit building and motivation you doing the planning for them is not going to be helpful. So as Laura is saying, like sixth grade is a great time to kind of let them fail. So even if you're offering tools and offering ideas and like some tools may resonate, like Laura's like, I would never want to do that. You're still giving them tools for them to use and manage it because I'm watching firsthand as I see in middle school parents still very much telling their kids when to do what, like hovering over them to submit. And I think that's just only going to backfire later on. I want my kids to learn how to manage that stuff. That is like part of the whole point of middle school. Yeah. Yeah. It's learning how to do this on your own. All right. Well, this has been Best of Both Worlds. We have been talking all things media, media curation, how to get more out of the media you are consuming. We will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. 
This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.